Uh, last week, uh, we started our series in Genesis. We looked at the first two verses of chapter 1, and we'll be looking at verses 3 to 25 this morning. Let's read them together. <clears throat> and God said, Let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the, of the waters. And let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear, and it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together, he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth, and it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation. Plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs, and for seasons, and for days, and years. And let them be lights in the expanse in the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds and it was so and God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind and God saw that it was good the word of the Lord well it would be very uh reasonable uh, for you as uh uh, living in 2022, uh, to ask the question, what about evolution? I mean, here we are, we're reading the book of Genesis, we're reading about creation, we're looking at Genesis chapter 1. What about evolution? Are these really 24-hour days? If they really are 24-hour days, then it would make evolution pretty hard. But much of the argument hinges on two things. How do you interpret the word for day? Does it mean a literal 24 hours, or is it a metaphor? Do you look at chapter 1 as poetry, 
you know, with all the repetition that we see here in chapter 1, all the structure that we see here in chapter 1, do you see it as poetry or do you see it as historical prose? Well, all the way through the history of the church, not just in the last couple hundred years, theologians have had a really hard time uh, coming to a consensus on this. People have seen it both ways. And people used to be able to disagree about that. In fact, people who took orthodoxy really serious, people who took the Bible serious, people who took Jesus serious, people who took historical interpretation serious, they would come down on both sides of this. Well, not so now. Now the issue has become much more heated and it's really sad. Well, I'm not here this morning to uh, lay out all the different options and to lecture on it. I'm not going to do a lecture series after church anytime soon on uh, evolution versus creationism. But what I am going to do is I'm going to point you to our denominations paper. Uh, in 1990, uh, our denomination came out with a paper and they looked at all the key issues having to do with creation and they gave a summary of lots of different arguments. And instead of you having to read four different books on four different views, you can just read this paper here. And I'm not going to go into a lot of uh, detail on it, mainly because that's not what I want to do here. What I want to do here is not just answer the questions that you might have, though valid. They're questions that theologians have had for the whole history of the church. But what I want to do is really deal and spend our time, our energy on what the text is thrusting towards. And that's what I want to look at today. I want to do it by looking at two word pairs. The first word pair is form and fill. And the second word pair is create and bless. Form and fill, create and bless. Let's start with form and fill. If you were here last week, we looked at the first two verses. And if you were to look at Genesis chapter 1 verse 2, it said that the Spirit hovered over the deep, and that the deep was without form and void. Without form and void. And they went on to say that the waters were, were dark. So you put the description in verse 2 of what was going on before creation started, you put it all together, and you have the Spirit hovering over this unformed, jumbled mass where life is not possible. But what the author of Genesis does in chapter 1 is that the first three verses addresses what we saw in verse 2, the without form. And we see that in the first three days, God creates form in his creation. And then we look at days 4 to 6, and we see that he addresses the void, that he fills the void. So we're going to see form and fill. All right? So let's go about talking about Form. And this is really pertinent because we just didn't make this a discussion about uh, some theory of creation last week. But we said that what God does is that God hovers, the Spirit hovers over our lives. He hovers over the desolation. He hovers over the mess of our lives and he brings about life. But what happens, what does it look like for forming and filling to happen in your life? Well, let's just look at the first three days. On the first day, you see that God creates the day and the night. The second day, he creates the skies and the seas. And the third day, he creates the land with plants. Now, each of these three days marks out a process of differentiation, a process of separation, doesn't it? You have separating day from night. You have separating the waters from below, the sea, 
from the atmospheric waters that are above the clouds. And then in day three, you have God separating the land from the water. And you get it to the end of the first three days, now you have order. Now, there's not just order, but this order and creation is what makes life possible. The earth is ready to be productive because now there's soil. Now there's water. Now there's sunlight. This is very different from what we saw in verse 2 with this unformed chaos. But now that that chaos from verse 2 is now habitable, all because God has set up an ordered creation. Now this whole creation account, Genesis chapters 1 and 2, that really does show us how life is meant to be ultimately. The narrative shows us the foundation for how the world ought to work. And with the first days of creation, we see that order is necessary for life. Things need their allotted place. Boundaries are important. And because boundaries are important, when limits are transgressed, things always go haywire. For instance, we see this dynamic of order when it comes to time. What we see throughout the scriptures is the scriptures look back on the creation week and say, you should work six days and rest on the seventh. Because that is what God himself did. And then you see order in the creation narrative when you see Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve are called to tend and keep the garden. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. And tend and keep the garden is just another way of saying, keep this place orderly. Why? Why are they to do this? It's so it can produce life. Um, has anybody watched the, the Netflix uh, show Tidying Up? I mean, a little Marie Kondo, anybody? Um, I mean, I think she's my favorite four-foot, full-grown person in the world. Um, she's just so delightful, isn't she? I mean, you just see her going around, and she just sparks joy within herself. I mean, that's what she talks about all throughout the show. But really, Marie Kondo is, uh, she comes into people's houses, and she says, uh, I, I'm a Japanese organizing consultant. And I want to create order in your home. And so she tells people to gather all their stuff together. And they're to go through it and only keep the things that spark joy. And then if, once they find all the things that spark joy, then they are to choose a place for them. And then when Marie Kondo leaves these places, there's order. It's unbelievable. And I think it's a really good picture of what can happen when God gets a hold of your life. Sometimes we're afraid that when God creates order into our life, when he creates boundaries, where he sets limits, where he puts things in their allotted place, we think that we're going to be overly rigid. We think it's going to make us black and white thinkers. But maybe this kind of order is exactly what you need. Maybe you need God to go through your life and tell you what needs to stay. You need God to go through your life and tell you what needs to go. You need him to show you where to put the things in your life that you're going to keep. See, what God does when he hovers over the deep, when he hovers over the disordered chaos of your life, he wants to put things in order. It's his specialty. It's what he's been doing for all time. But he wants to do more than just put order into your life. He also wants to fill your life. See, there's a shift from days one to three that are all about order to a shift into fullness in days four to six. 
You've got habitats in days one to three, and then you have that ha- those habitats filled in days four to six. Think about day four. You have the light of the day is filled with suns and stars. Day four, you have the dark of the night is now filled with the moon. You get to day five, and the waters that are below the sea, now they're filled with fish. And the waters, the atmospheric waters that are above the clouds are now The skies are now filled with birds. Day six, you have the land that was created in day three. It's now filled with animals. And like we'll see next week, not just animals, but also human beings. So the first three days involve separating the formless chaos and creating habitats. And the second three days are about those habitats that are now formed, now house life. They're filled with moving forms. See, the whole goal of order is to produce life, promote life. So if you're hearing this and you're like, okay, what can I expect? Is the Spirit hovering over my life, my unformed chaos? Yes, he's going to bring order, but order is never an end in and of itself. Order by itself is never enough. Some of us who are control freaks, we like this predictability, we like boundaries, we like limits, but we're tempted to make order the whole point of our lives. But it can't be. Order is only useful to the degree that it promotes life. That's what you see in days four to six. Well, same is true for you. When you get so controlled, so concerned about order in your life and you forget that the whole point of order is promote life, you're skewed. See, the whole reason you keep a calendar is to promote relational health. The whole reason you take breaks from your labor is in order to connect with God and creation. The whole reason that you are to prioritize and look at all your commitments and and choose a few of them is so that you can put your full self, your whole life, into the things that you say yes to. See, this whole dynamic of form and fullness, they're not just Genesis 1, creation, science kinds of things. They're the very bedrock of how your life works. See, the longer you look at Genesis chapter 1, it becomes more and more beautiful. You see this lush variety all throughout. When you really start comparing what happens in verses 3 through 25 with what's going on in verse 2, you're so intrigued. But as you look at it and you're really honest, you'll likely say, verse 2 looks a lot more like my life than verses 3 to 25. And that's not surprising. That's what was true for me this week. And that's why we need this second pair of words. That's why we need God's word. See, the word of God is what comes into your disorder. The word of God is what comes into your lifelessness. And it comes in and it creates... And it blesses. See, look at all the ways God uses, uh, look at what uh, the only thing God uses in chapter one to bring about what we see. All he uses are his words. See, in verses three, six, nine, 14, 20, and 24, there's the refrain, and God said. And each of these instances of this refrain just announces that particular day of creation. 
it signifies to us that the only tool that God has for creation is his word. And it's more than sufficient to get things done. Everything he does is just with a mere utterance. There's no pushback. The chaos and emptiness don't protest. (laughs) It's just effortlessness for God to create. But even if it is effortless for God, even if it's really easy for God to bring about creation, it's not cold, it's not joyless. It's not like God just has a to-do list for creation. He has this plan and then he checks off every bullet on every, uh, every piece of his checklist when he's all done and he wipes his hands of it. He, he calls it an accomplishment. He's relieved to get something done and he moves on to something else. That's not what's going on in Genesis chapter 1. See, what's going on in Genesis chapter 1 with creation is that it's not just a project. It's a joy project. See, look at the refrain in verse 3, 10, 12, 18, and 21. Each of those days, there's the refrain that says, God looked upon what he had made and he said, and it was good. See, God's giving it a benediction. He's giving it a blessing. God's the great artist here and he's admiring his handiwork. He's enjoying what he's made. And don't you want that same delight? Don't you want that blessing? Just like God looked on the birds of the air and the fish of the sea and the animals on the land and he said it was good. Don't you want God to look you in the eyes and say, and it's good? See, it points to the hunger that we have in us, that we want to be admired. We want people to tell us we did a good job. We want people to like our posts. But even when people do admire us, even... When they do tell us we do a good job, even when they do like our posts, it never satisfies. In fact, the harder you work for the approval of others, or for the approval of yourself even, the more empty you become. Even if you get some affirmation, it wears off so quickly and you just want more. See, that ache was created in you. It's not a deficiency. It's not something to get rid of. And if you really want to create your appetite, if you really want to ache, you'll move from Genesis 1 to John chapter 1. And in John chapter 1, you'll see that this creative word goes beyond just speech and verbal forms and now becomes a person. In John chapter 1, we see the person where John announces Jesus by saying, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were created through Him. And without him was not anything made that was made. See, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. See, friends, God so badly wanted to satisfy your aching heart that he put on flesh. He so badly wanted to communicate what he was like that he sent a person And then you begin to look at the life of Jesus and you see him creating a community. You see how his words cause things to rise out of non-existence. You see Jesus dish out words of affirmation left and right, but how could he do it? It was because he got the blessing. See, God looked him in the eyes at his baptism, at the beginning of his ministry... 
And a voice came from heaven and said, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. See, what God the Father did at Jesus' baptism is the same thing he did at, every, at the end of every day of creation. He was telling Jesus that he was good. And this is the first time a human being got this benediction since Adam and Eve. See, what we're going to see next week is that after God creates Adam and Eve, he doesn't just call them good, he calls them very good. God was exceedingly pleased with his image bearers, and they enjoyed the smile of God day in and day out in the Garden of Eden until the fall. And just like us, they groaned to witness God's smile upon them every day after. They wanted his commendation. See, what we need, we need God to hover over us. We need God to hover over us to make what was formless ordered. We need him to fill what was once empty. We need his creative power that comes from his word, but mostly we need the blessing. Do you hear his blessing on your life today? So you don't become worthy of blessing and then get blessed. God comes at you while you are weak, according to Romans 5. He comes to you while you are still a sinner, according to Romans 5. He comes to you when you're totally disinterested in the things of him. And that's when he gives you blessing. And for Jesus to give you that blessing, it cost him everything. It cost him his own life, even. And that just proves how much he loves you. So, brother and sister, as you read this text, this isn't a science textbook. What you see here is what's written into the DNA of your life as a human being. That you need order. That you need fullness. And that you need his blessing. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we... So badly, what would it be like to have been there and witnessed your words at the end of every one of those days? And then look on the difference of what happens on the end of day six when you call Adam and Eve very good. And Lord, it would be no surprise if you never told another human being that it was good, because <laughs> we don't deserve it. But somehow we choose the disorder and the chaos but you still love us. So Lord, I pray you would perplex us by how much you love us. We pray these things in your name. Amen.